Hello, everybody. You guys like that video? We did that for you. That's good. I love, I love that we have our kids and our youth present with us this morning. This is something we're going to do more of. Uh, we value our, our generations gathering together, and, and uh, occasionally on Sunday mornings, we want to have our kids and our youth present here. So I'm going to share uh, a short message this morning, and I'm going to do my absolute best to keep you guys engaged and interested. That should always be the goal, but even more so um, this morning. I want to share a little bit about India. That's going to happen a little bit later on, and uh, we're going to keep on our series on the Gospel of Mark. We've been preaching through that since the New Year, so we're going to make sure that ties in this morning as well. Uh, to start, I want to tell you a little bit about a little bit of history uh, in the early in the early church. Something that happened in the Roman Empire during the first few hundred years. It was at the same time that the church was growing and spreading and really taking root. It was happening primarily in the Roman Empire, and uh, we have well-documented well history of two really severe plagues that broke out in the Roman Empire uh, uh, in 165 AD and in 251 AD. And this was happening right in the midst of when the church was growing. It's estimated that these diseases, the first disease in 165 AD, it lasted 15 years. It's considered to have killed a quarter of the population, maybe even a third of the population. You guys imagine that? This is a disease where one in four people would die, and it lasted 15 years. So they, had, like, they didn't have sanitation back then, and people were really crammed into small quarters, and so diseases would just it would start snowballing, and it would take off, and they would, it was just this awful thing, this awful plague that took over the, emperor, the empire. In 251 AD, just less than 100 years later, after the first one, an equally devastating plague broke out, and this just absolutely crippled the Roman Empire. Uh, and people were just dying everywhere. The Roman reaction, as you can imagine, was to flee. If they had money, they'd, they, they'd try to get out of the cities and try to escape the plague and, and stay away from it so that they could uh, survive. It's really interesting to note that uh, history tells us many Christians did the opposite. They actually chose to stay and care for the dying and for the sick and uh, to care for the people that were most vulnerable during this plague. And, and because of that, many Christians died uh, at that time as well. Check out this quote from Dionysius. He's a bishop of Alexandria during the second plague. He writes this. I think it should be up there. He says, Most of our brothers, our brother Christians, showed unabounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ, and with them departed this life serenely happy. And then he also writes about how the Romans reacted. He said, The heathen, that's what they called them back then, behaved in very opposite ways. At the first onset of the disease, they pushed the sufferers away and they fled from their dearest because they didn't want to get infected. And so in the, in the face of this, of this awful thing that was going on in the Roman Empire, Christians rolled up their sleeves, they got their hands dirty, and they cared for people that were suffering and that were poor and vulnerable. They loved their neighbor. They were compelled by, their, by Christ's call in their life to be a light and to engage in their neighborhood, to engage in their community, and to engage in the needs that they saw around them. And now you might respond to this quote and say, well, of course a Christian is going to say this about themselves. Uh, they have a vested interest in making themselves look good. I want to show you uh, a quote from a pagan writer, somebody that is not a Christian, doesn't have a whole lot of respect for Christians at the time, and yet they document the same thing. So here's the next quote, pagan writer Lysian. 
This is during the first plague. He writes, The earnestness, the earnestness with which the people of this religion help one another in their need is incredible. They spare themselves nothing for this end. Their first lawgiver, he's talking about Jesus, put it in their hearts that they were all brethren. So like within the first hundred years, the, Christ, the Christian church is already known, for, known as being people who really cared and supported each other and looked after people. In uh, 362 AD, Christianity has really firmly taken root in the empire by then. And there's a, an, empire, an emperor who came onto the scene and he hated Christians. And his goal was to eradicate Christianity from the Roman Empire. And so he's, he, he, he writes this letter to all of his top officials. And he says, here's what the Christians are known for. And here's why the religion is spreading. And here's what we're going to do to combat it, to, to try and get rid of it. And he basically says, we're going to try and mimic them. So it's Emperor Julian. This is what he writes here. It is the generosity towards non-members, care for the graves of the dead, and pretended holiness of life that has especially fostered the growth of atheism. Now, interesting to note that he's actually talking about Christianity. So it was originally known as atheism. Um, and he, but he recognizes, you can tell he doesn't have a lot of respect for it, but he recognizes that it is their generosity and their care for the poor that has really helped spread the faith. And so this is what he says to the leaders. He says, we, we need to mimic what the Christians are doing. We need to mimic their charitable actions. So he says this, it would be shameful when the Jews have no beggars and the impious Galileans, and not, that's just a reference to Christians. That's what, that was another way to call Christians, impious Galileans. Feed our own people along with their, with their own, that ours should be seen to lack the help we owe them. So here's this pagan emperor who recognizes that his own people don't take care of the poor and the vulnerable, and yet this, these Christians who he doesn't respect, he wants to get rid of them, but he recognizes that it has grown so much because these Christians are tangibly being a light in their community and in their neighborhoods. Um, even among non-believers and Christian haters, the prime directive of being a light in your neighborhood, being a light in your world, was so evident and apparent. It's one of the reasons the early church grew so fast and so quickly. I read a really good book this summer, and the thesis uh, is this. You can flip to the next slide. He said, The practical application of charity was probably the most potent single cause of Christian success. And the whole book basically seeks to prove that uh, there's a lot of factors to why Christianity grew, but he says the primary one is because of the charity, because of the way that Christians lived in a pagan society, others were drawn in, like the darkness being drawn into the light. Today's message, it's not about charity. Um, it is so much bigger than that. It's about being a light. It's about making Jesus known. It's about having other people look at our lives and being attracted to God because of how we live, just the same way the early Christians did at the beginning. So we've been going through the Gospel of Mark, and today uh, we find ourselves in chapter 4, and it's impossible to preach through the entire chapter. So I'm going to camp on just four verses, uh, starting in verse 21, and they are powerful verses. They've already been read here a little bit, but we'll put it up on the screen there, a lamp on a stand. One of the things that I absolutely love about Jesus is he takes really common images, everyday household items, and, uh, and draws spiritual truths out of those things. And so when you think about it, it's actually a really silly image, this one. He talks about a lamp. He says, who of you go out and buy a lamp and put a bowl over it? I mean, how many of you kids grab a bowl and put it over top of a lamp? It doesn't make any sense, right? Or why would you go out and buy a lamp and stick it under your bed? No one would do that. Why would you do that? Let's read the passage here. Verse 21. 
This is the parable. He said to them, do you bring in a lamp and put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? Whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use it, it will be measured to you, and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. So Jesus, Jesus here is talking about how we choose to apply what we say we believe. If we say we believe in the light of God, it should show up in our actions. We don't hide it. We don't, we don't put a bowl over our life. We don't crawl under a bed or go into our little holy huddles. It's meant, what we have, what God has given us in Christ, is meant to be put on display so that other people are drawn in. This is what verse 24 and 25 are pointing to. This, it's a bit confusing about this, uh, this language about me- the measure being used and the measure to you. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's basically saying, the more that we apply and live out our faith, the more will be used and the more will be given to us. And then the opposite of that is also true. If we don't apply our faith, if we don't apply the things that we know to be true about God, what little we have will be taken from us. Because when you don't practically apply what it is that you say you believe, you're going to end up losing it because it doesn't actually have any meaning for you. That's what Jesus is saying here. So what we see in the early Christians is this deeply embedded value to live out their faith. They saw the needs around them. They said, we are absolutely compelled because of Jesus to do something and to be a light in our communities and in our neighborhood. They did it in a real concrete way. So during their day, charity was what was needed. And so they responded and they helped. And so many people were drawn to the church. I mean, I've read accounts where churches were turning people away at the door because they couldn't take them in anymore. Because people just wanted to know, why are you acting like this? What, what is it about you that, that makes you act like this? I want to be part of it. And they're just drawn to the light. So I want to share with you some stories about my trip to India. Um, for those of you who don't know, I get to help run an organization, uh, a missions organization, and we, our prime directive is to support national workers around the world who are doing a really good work. And so I get to travel, I get to see what God is doing, I get to encourage a little bit, and then come back here and tell stories and advocate for them, and then raise funds for them. So that's kind of what my job is. So I've been to India three times, this is the third time, and every time it's so different. It is the most radical place that I go. I, I travel a number of different countries. India is just always uh, intense, always still culture shock there. It, it's an amazing country to go to. This trip, I was exposed to so many examples of how Christians in that country, and they are, they are a very small group of people. It is a minority in India. But I saw ways in which Christians are, they are so bright, and they are drawing so many people in, and the church is growing so much because of how Christians are taking very seriously their call to put the light on the stand. And so I just want to show you some pictures and just give you guys some examples. uh, And then we'll just talk about what that might mean for us today. So uh, kids, yeah, so here's a map of India. I did have a world map before, but I don't have a pointer, so I can't even really tell you where India is. So uh, there's a world map. India's that green thing on the right-hand side. Super helpful, right? Okay, so uh, flip on over to India. I spend all my time in northern India. In southern India, Christianity is very well rooted, but in northern India, it's still one of the most unreached uh, areas of the world. And so that's where we have, that's where we have all of our workers. So we'll just, next picture. I was in three stops. The first stop is in the Punjab area, uh, northwest India. And uh, our organization, we sponsored uh, a sewing center. So we bought 12 sewing machines 
we gave it to this church. This is a church that we work with. Right, right, uh, it's in one of the slum areas. And they wanted to reach their community. And so we bought them 12 sewing machines. And they opened up a sewing center. And they trained women how to sew. It's a nine-month program. And now they have been given a skill. And they are able to go out and work and improve the financial situation of, of their families. And this has proved to be a really, um, a really important skill and a really valuable skill, uh, especially for women. And so the church has said, we want to be a light in the neighborhood. What can we do? And so we opened up the sewing center. So I actually got to be there for the graduation. So all these women took uh, this nine-month course, and now we'll see what they do with it. But our hope is that uh, they're able to you know, get out of the slums and improve their situation for their family. So this is the group of 12 women that graduated. And my friend who's the pastor, he said, regardless of what these women end up doing with this, this sewing center has given us uh, uh, way more influence in the community because it has shown the community that we as a church not only don't just care about the spiritual well-being of people, we also care about uh, the physical well-being of people. And we care about their situations. And this is a new church plant. It's only about three years old. Uh, it's hundreds of people. They're all new believers. It's absolutely incredible to go there and see what God is doing. Um, but this is, this is one of the ways in which they said, hey, we really want to make an impact in the neighborhood. And this is, this is one of the things that we're going to do. So uh, that was really cool. We'll switch to the next one. So my next stop, I went to an orphanage. This is actually our first orphanage in India. It's one of our newer partners. Uh, based just kind of at the bottom of the Himalayas. It's a small orphanage. There's 38 kids there. They range from the age of 4 to 25. And the, the, the vision there is to take care of kids right up until they're finished university. So we're still sponsoring kids through university. And by the end of that, they have education and they have the ability to work and provide for themselves and their family. So they've already graduated off some students and they're doing uh, really well. These orphans, about half of them don't have parents, and the other half do have parents, but their parents are totally unable to take care of them. The orphanage is close to a leper colony. Now, I know you guys probably don't even know what a leper colony is, but in India, it's a pretty normal thing. It's where le people have leprosy. It's a, it's a pretty awful disease. And uh, the Indian government has said that it's eradicated, but you go to India and you realize it's actually not eradicated. There's these leper colonies everywhere. And these people are absolutely ostracized. Not only do they have this awful disease, um, they are socially kicked out of their society. So they're basically quarantined to these leper colonies. And so parents are unable to care for their kids. They're unable to sign their kids up for school. Uh, they live in slums. It's just an awful situation. And so a lot of these kids actually come from leper colonies, and they're so happy to be in this orphanage where they where they get solid education, where they get health and care, and, they, and the biggest thing is they get hope, right? And this is all done under the Christian umbrella. And so I got to spend four, five days here, and it's just, the place is absolutely soaked with, with God. Every morning and every evening, they start their days with devotions led by the older students. The older students take care of the younger students. They start their days singing prayer. They end their days with singing and prayer. They look after each other. The day I got there, uh, we had a little church service, and they all wanted to give me their testimony. Only about four of them were allowed to do it. And they just told stories about how God has changed their life, about how they had no hope, and now they have hope. And uh, the guy who started this orphanage, it was in 2003, he's just like, I, have to, I see these kids, I have to do something. I have to make a difference. I, I have to engage as a Christian. I'm absolutely compelled. And so um, right now he's able to support 38 students. He's always saying no to other kids because he doesn't have the funds yet, but... We're working on that. But this is one of the ways in which 
Christians in India are being a really tangible uh, light in their community. A lot of these kids' parents are now, have now come to Christ because they see that Christians care. They care about their kids. They care about their situation. I went into two of the leper colonies. Um, the leper colonies have actually set up churches where people can respond to the gospel, and some people have responded. Uh, it's amazing how acts of compassion and charity draw other people in, and they recognize that, you know what, there actually is something to this faith uh, because in the way that you're treating other people. So we'll go to the next Next one here. I want to show you a picture of one leper colony. I was in two leper colonies. One of them, they're entirely dependent on people's charity. It's not the most healthy situation. They've kind of become dependent on people to come and give to them all the time. I went into another one, and it's a way healthier uh, colony. What happened is there was a German Christian who went in there in the 80s, saw the colony and said, I, I have to help these people generate an income somehow so, so they can support themselves, but more importantly, they can have a sense of human dignity that they're not reliant on other people. And so this lady helped these people. Uh, they, they buy raw cotton, and then with raw cotton, they learn how to spin it and weave it and uh, dye it. So we'll flip to, the, flip to the next picture. So I just went around and took pictures because it was amazing. So this is their warehouse, and they've dyed all of these cotton. They've got all these uh, bundles, and then they turn it into blankets, which is the next picture. So the blankets and towels and bags, and then they sell it. In India, they sell it in North America. They sell it in Europe. It was really amazing to watch. Super old school stuff, but uh, you know, even, even the disposition of these lepers compared to the other ones that were living on people's charity was so different. Because these people, they, they took care of themselves. They generated communal income so that they could look after themselves. Because again, they can't leave the colony, but they could generate funds from within the colony and look after themselves. And there was a sense of self-worth that the other colony that was dependent on charity didn't have. So uh, really interesting, really interesting to see. But just amazing. Started by a Christian lady who just said, I have to help these people. I have to, I have to help them. I'm compelled to do it. Well, next picture, please. What else we got here? Okay, so, uh, then, so then this is my uh, next. I went to three different stops. So this is the next stop. And I saw a lot of stuff here. Uh, my friend kind of drove me around. And I got to go into a number of different slums. So... Uh, on the left-hand side, it's kind of, it's hard to picture it, but it's just, you see this all over India where there's just poor villages. They would call them slums. People living in, in wooden shacks and tin roofs and uh, very few of them had sanitation. It was all dirt roads. A lot of the kids were wandering around with no shoes or anything. You can see on the far right, my right, there's kind of a strange metal bin. It kind of looks out of place, right? They're white and they're yellow. If you flip over one, those are storage units turn into classrooms. So Christian ministry has gone into the slum and said, what do you need? And the kids are too far away from any uh, school, and so these kids weren't going to school. And so this ministry said, we're going to come in and we're going to give your kids some education. Because without education, how can you possibly improve your situation? It's almost impossible, right? So they came in here and they turned these storage bins, poured a concrete pad, uh, cut out some doors, and they have four of these, and they provide school. Uh, for these kids. And so because of this, as a Christian ministry, the communities recognize that Christians care about them, and they've also opened their doors to come in and tell them about Jesus. Before then, no way. No Christians are allowed into our community. But when you go in there and you offer them something, you say, look, we actually care about your physical needs as well, all of a sudden the doors are open. I saw this over and over again. What an incredible way uh, for, to be a light in a dark place, in a, in a painful place. I'll show you some more here. This is a well. 
So this commu- the same community, uh, they didn't have running water. And so they were either drinking out of mud puddles or they were going for like a couple hours walk down to the local river. And so this same Christian ministry uh, dug a bore well for them. And most slums that I went into, one, this was one of the first things that are provided. It's obviously a pretty significant need in those areas is clean water. So next picture. It's a picture of a slum. Just try to, just so you guys kind of have an idea. It, it's hard to capture it. But, you know, tin roofs, uh, if they're lucky, dirt, dirt roads, um, it, it's, it's pretty poor. It, it's it's, um, it's kind of strange walking through there. And uh, kids, are, kids who should be in school are running around in their bare feet. And there's glass and there's garbage and there's sanitation issues everywhere. It's just, it's really sad. Uh, next picture. So, in this, so this is a different slum. And the same, oh, and this is the worst slum that I saw. These people... They're so poor, they don't even get a roof over their head. So they're living basically in these outside uh, tents. And you can see they're open on both ends. And it, this was, I've seen a lot. This was the worst I've seen. And I was, I was in a little bit of shock. I didn't even know what to say or how to think through this. There's garbage everywhere. Again, there's no washroom, so you can imagine how it smelled. And it's just, it's, it's really incredibly sad. It's hard to imagine that humans live like this. I want to preface this because I know I'm showing a lot of poverty. India is a growing nation and there is a lot of wealth coming in. And this is, a, this is only a percentage of people that are living like this, right? So, uh, but it's still a large population. It's still a large amount of people that are really suffering. Uh, so in this same slum, again, this is a Christian school rented out of one of the buildings that are in there. And uh, these Christians go in, they provide the teachers, they pro- provide food, they provide education for 120 of these kids. And then they've also planted a church in this same building. And uh, Christians are making an impact. They are, they are really being a light in places where there, quite frankly, isn't a lot of light and a lot of hope. I think i got one more picture there. This, yeah, this last one, this is a pretty uh, fancy school. This school was donated from a European. He bought it up. And the Christians are using it. Uh, this is another different Christian ministry. 680 kids go to the school. Most of them are from the local community. So they would be Hindus or Muslims. Um, uh, so the majority of the kids are not coming from Christian schools but, or from Christian homes. But one of the greatest needs, again, in India is, is proper education and education that is affordable. And so the Christians, they, say they, they have this really nice school, and they say, hey, come on in. We're going to educate your kids. And, of course, through this, they're able to share the love of Christ as well. And communities are being drawn to Christ. It's absolutely amazing. I want to tell you one story about the orphanage. My friend drove me around, and he, and, um, he showed me a brand-new orphanage built by, um, by some Hindu people. There's a Hindu fundamentalist government in power right now. They don't like Christians and a recent census came out, and it's, and it's showing that Christianity is actually really booming right now in India. It's growing, and it's alarmed them. And what I find really interesting is they're doing exactly what Emperor Julian did. They're trying to combat this by offering their own charity. So the, he showed me uh, a Hindu orphanage. So they're trying to, they recognize, again, that Christianity is growing in India because of the way that Christians are living, the, the light that they are showing, and they're trying to mimic it to try and reverse the trend. And I think it's going to be interesting because it's not going to work. I think history is going to repeat itself here. And uh, I mean, I think India is on the cusp of being a pretty significant Christian uh, nation. So uh, that's just, just a small snapshot of what's going on in India and some of the things that I get to be a part of. And 
You know, the question for me after a trip like this always is now what? I sit on that, you know, 36-hour ride home, and I wonder, now that I've seen this, now that I've experienced this, what does this look like now that I come home? You know, and honestly, there is a tendency for me to come home from these trips and feel very guilty about my life. Uh, I've come to realize that's actually not that helpful, and I don't think that's actually good. I don't have to feel guilty that God has allowed me to live in this country, and I have what I have. Um, India is a different part of the world, and the reality is there's different needs here. But I don't have leper colonies as my neighbors, and I don't see kids wandering around without shoes and without sanitation. And so I'm not going to feel guilty about that, but I also want to open my eyes to the real needs that are here in Canada and the ways in which we can be a light. That said, I do, I'm, I'm more and more convinced that it's really important to be supporting ministries that are reaching out to people like this, people that really are living in the poor and the vulnerable and the hopelessness of life. And I've seen firsthand how far our dollar goes. So I think it's important that as people that have been given much, that we are willing to live with less so that we can support these ministries. But uh, there is so much more about being a light than simply giving money. I mean, that's just a small fraction of what it means to be a light in the world. Being a light is about being a Christian witness in, in every aspect of your life. Christianity is not about this hour and a half that we set aside for Sunday mornings. It's about everything that you do in every sphere of your life, whether it's at home, whether it's at work, kids and youth, whether it's at your schools, you guys are called to be a light. And I go to India and I see Christians that are putting their light on a stand and at times I come back here and I am a little bit discouraged because I see a lot of Christians putting their light under a bed. And I even see it in my own life. And I'm challenged when I come home to say, you know what, man, I got to i got to fire this up again and, uh, and get people excited about what we have because we have been given the light and we follow the God of light. And he invites us into this, this beautiful mission of drawing people to himself and making the world a better place. And we got to be a part of that and God calls us to be a part of that. So this morning, I simply want to remind us of what we've been given and then what we've been called to. We've been given the light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And then he says, you are the light as well. And so go and shine. And by the way in which we live our lives in every sphere of our life, people should be drawn to Christ. The scriptures, Paul actually says that we are ambassadors for Christ. He's not just talking about himself. This is a call for all of us Christians. That we are ambassadors. That in how we live, we actually represent Jesus to the world around us, to our neighbors, to our friends, to our family, to our communities. So we are to put our light on a stand. So uh, we've not only been invited to share in this light, but to participate in, in offering this light to others. And so uh, I'm always motivated by this. God has invited us to join him in his great mission. And it's an amazing thing. And so when I think about engaging in the mission of God, I don't do it out of duty or obligation or some sort of sense of guilt. I do it because it's amazing because God, God has called me and he's called us as a church and he's called you to participate with him in making this world better, to participate with him in helping others and being a light in the neighborhoods, to put what God has given us on a stand and not put it underneath the bed. And I think this is a beautiful and amazing picture. For me, uh, I feel like my Christian faith took a lot of steps forward when I started understanding that it's not just about me, it's about what God has called me to do in the world around me. That he has given me, uh, he's given me hope, but he's also given me a purpose. He's given me a mission 
to engage with. And it's not just globally, it is locally. It's in every aspect of my life, every minutia of the detail of our lives. And so, there's our inspiration for the morning. You've been given light, put it on a stand. Don't put a bowl over it. And when I go to India, that's what I see. I see people who, uh, some of them are persecuted. Some of the pastors that I hung out with, I was in their home, they, they kicked me out after 10 minutes. They were so worried about people seeing them with a white guy because they knew what that meant. He's been threatened a number of times, and yet they drive around with Jesus loves you on the back of their car. They're persecuted, and yet they are not at all ashamed or embarrassed of their faith, and they are drawing people to themselves. It's absolutely amazing to see. And so, it's our encouragement this morning to be a light in, uh, in the areas of our life in which we live in all the areas.